Thank you for listening to this resource. Um, your mind is an amazing creation of God. It handles billions and billions of bits of information. It can process 800 memories per second for years and never gets tired. No computer will ever compare with the computing power of the brain. And the, and the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. More than anything else, what determines your life are your thoughts. Not your background, not your genes or hereditary, not your environment, but what you choose to think about has greater influence on your life than anything else. Think about that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you are serious about changing something in your life, whatever area it is, you have to start by changing the way you think. This new series, Clear Thinking, we are going to be looking at thinking clearly about your life and future. Because as Christians, sometimes we forget that God has blessed us with the capacity to think. Beyond praying, God wants us to pray, yes, but God wants us to think and think clearly. So in part one, we'll be looking at thinking clearly about problems, part two, about finances, Part three, about stress. Part four, about spiritual growth. In part five, we'll be looking at thinking clearly about sex. In part six, about relationships. In part seven, which is the final part, about life change. This is part three, thinking clearly about stress. Three weeks ago, we, we started a series, we started our midweek service, and we started with, with a series titled Tribe. Everybody say Tribe. Tribe. And um, the first part of this art, thinking clearly about your problems. In fact, the series is called Clear Thinking. The midweek service is called Tribe. So the series is called what? Clear Thinking. So we looked at thinking clearly about your problems. And last week, we looked at thinking clearly about your finances. And, and there have been awesome testimonies. I mean, people have been, people's lives have been changed by that teaching. Praise the name of the Lord. And today, we are looking at thinking clearly about stress. Thinking clearly about stress. You see, um, you'll be feeling as you go along, um, I probably will not refer to that anymore because we are used to it by now. Praise the Lord. When we get under stress or when we get stressed up we blame our circumstances easily. We blame the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Oh, my driver. Oh, my husband. Oh, my wife. She's a stress major. Oh, these children are stressing me. Oh, this job is stressful. 
Oh. And we blame the circumstance. But the truth is, our circumstances are not a curse. Why? Because stress is a response. I said stress is a response. Stress is internal. Your circumstances are external. Yes, the car broke down. But you chose to be stressed. Yes, Nepa, the power company, has cut your light. <laughs> but you can choose to be stressed or not to be stressed. So you can put two people in the exact situations and one of them will be stressed and the other person will not be stressed. So it shows it's not the situation. Your neighbor never cut your lights together. And they seem to be singing praise worship. While you are saying, oh, Nigeria, what will happen in this nation? What kind of country is this? Two people, two families, same situation. One is stressed out, one is not. And we can go on and on and on. Very recently, I mean, God delivered a nation from Ebola, right? During the Ebola crisis, some people were stressed. Stressed. Anxious. Even, listen, even parents were scared of hugging their children. As soon as they step out, say, go to the bathroom. Go, 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 go. Go and wash yourself from head to toe. Then come and shake me. Stress unnecessarily. You can say, Pastor, it's not unnecessary, but it's a necessary stress. Some people were not stressed. Praise the Lord. And we are in the same country. The dollar is rising. So people are stressed. Oh, the dollar is rising. Meanwhile, some people are not stressed because my God will supply all my needs according. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Are you saying we should not be cognizant of what's going on around us? No, I'm saying don't be stressed by what is happening around you because we are not stressed by what is before us. We are stressed by how we perceive it. What is before us does not stress us. That's not what stresses us. It is our perception of what is before us. You can have two people face the same amount of work. One person will be stressed because of that same amount of work. The other person will not be stressed because one person sees it as, oh, they want to kill us. The other person sees it as an opportunity to display the grace of God that is upon me to work hard. Praise the name of the Lord. 
So stress is a combination of different emotions, worry, guilt, fear, bitterness, anger, tension, anxiety, based on the way we think, strictly based on the way we think. And if you check your outline, our text today is 2 Timothy 4.5. 2 Timothy 4.5 from the NLT, New Living Translation. 2 Timothy 4.5, it says, you should keep a clear mind, how often? In how many situations? When the country is Ebola free, keep a clear mind. When you have less work to do, keep a clear mind. When the dollar has come down to one dollar per one naira, keep a clear mind. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says we should what? Keep a clear mind in Every situation. Everybody say every situation. So what is stressing you? What situation is stressing you right now? God wants you to keep a clear mind and be stressless. <laughs> ah, one guy, they say, just ah, right there. It means he's receiving the word. The word is like tablets. It's working. Praise the name of the Lord. There are different types of stress. We are going to look at three. I will try and add a fourth one, but I doubt if there will be time. The stress of compromising. Then secondly, this distress of conflict. Thirdly, the stress of competition. And the fourth one, if we have time, if the stress of commitment. So we take the first one quickly. The stress of compromise. This is the stress you feel when you are pressured to do something you know is wrong or that you don't want to do. When you are pressured to do something you know is wrong or you don't want to do, you are feeling the stress of of compromise. This doesn't go well. If my father hears that I did this, he'll be angry, he'll turn in his grave. If, I mean, Jesus must not find me in this situation. Eh? The stress. And many of us can remember the first time we felt stress, the pressure, prayer pressure, prayer pressure, the pressure to smoke. I remember the first cigarette I smoked. The pressure, the pressure to drink, the the pressure, the pressure to lose your virginity, the pressure, the pressure to let someone cheat from your paper in the exam or the pressure, the pressure of you cheating in the exam hall, the pressure You know, when I was in Unilag, I think it was year three, in Unilag, every science student, I studied computer science, every science student must take a foreign language. I don't know why they say, they say that. Is that French, German, or Latin? How many people know nobody took Latin? Everybody ran away from German. Everybody did French. Now, for some reason, even though I wasn't saved at the time, I just hated cheating. 
in the exam. I hated it. So, my colleagues concluded that the only reason I hated cheating was because you always pass your exams. That's why you eat cheating. French, nobody knew, including me. <laughs> the day came, went to another faculty to write the exam. Everybody, they said it to my face, we will see today if you will not dub. And I sat there, I felt the pressure because I saw, say something, I'm like, what? <laughs> am I going to dub now? Or am I just going to face the exam? Even if I wanted to dub, they will be happy to show me, but they will rub it. I will not hear the last of it. The kind of friends I had. Somehow, I didn't dub. Somehow, I don't know how I passed that French. He must be the Holy Ghost. Even though I didn't know him. <laughs> I passed it. I think I had a D or something. Or an E. No, those, those, there are some excellent E's. That was an excellent E. <laughs> it wasn't an F. It wasn't a carryover. I was good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and in the business world, you are, you are pressured. To compromise. You are pressured to drop ethical standards that God will have us do. So the question is how do I deal with the stress of compromise? How do I deal with the stress of compromise? Two things you need to do. How to deal with the stress of compromise? Two things. Number one, do the right thing. Thing. In dealing with the stress of compromise, the first thing you do is what? Just do it. Why? Because in the short run, doing easy things, doing the, doing the thing easy, doing this easy thing rather, may seem simpler. Doing the easy thing may seem simpler in the short run. But in the long run, doing the right thing is less stressful. It's less stressful. Proverbs 10.9, New Living Translation, Proverbs 10.9 says, people with integrity have what? A firm footing, but those who follow crooked paths will sleep and fall. Will sleep and fall. Firm footing, slipping and falling. What will it be? I want to answer it in your heart. What will it be? Will I stand firmly or will I slip and fall? Firmly. Praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because the stress of being found out is enormous in itself. Have you noticed that? When you want to do a, a bad thing, the enemy says to you, nobody will find out. Nobody will find out. 
No, no, Pastor, uh, sorry, Pastor Gadi was saying, everybody can hear the devil, but not everybody can hear God. How come you can hear the devil you can hear God? He says, nobody will find out. Just do it. After all, who is here with you? But have you noticed that as soon as you do it, that same voice changes to everybody will find out. Now we see how you are going to cover this. Now are you not ashamed of yourself? Because God doesn't condemn us. God convicts us. Huge difference. So the pain and the pressure is enormous. And it brings stress. It brings stress. Have you noticed that when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. But if you lie, you have to remember, what did I say to this person? I just, your wife asked you a question, you're like, mm, I'm coming, I'm coming. The lie, you're trying to remember which version. Praise the name of the Lord. Everyone say, firm footing. Integrity is the only way to stay on track. Firm footing. Integrity is the only way to stay on track. And if you check the life of someone that has integrity, the byproduct of integrity is confidence. The byproduct of integrity is what? It's confidence. It's co- You're not afraid of anybody. You didn't steal anybody's money. Like, like I said earlier on, you, you're not afraid to, to say what you think because you didn't lie. You don't lie. You're not wondering what version am I going to say. You're meeting someone, you're not wondering, has this person told this person what I said? Confidence. The, 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 the church I used to pastor, um, before God led us to start God's Favorite House, when, when I resigned, I, they were coming to audit the church, but I, I just I went out of the country. And this, the, the elderly man, the elderly pastor that audited the church, said to me that he was shocked that he has never seen a pastor that will allow his church to be audited when he's not standing over the shoulders of the auditors. When he's not checking. Because I have nothing to hide. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, the choir is clapping. Okay, let's clap for Jesus. If you want to clap, clap well. Now, the key thing is this. He said, he said, Pastor Femi, we checked your books. Your finances are impeccable. Those are his words. The point is this. If you have walked the path of integrity, you have nothing to hide. You don't begin to dig. Okay, three years ago, let me check that record. What's, what's your business with that? Integrity is like pay as you go. 
Once you've used it, you've used it. You don't worry about it again. You need a fresh one for the following day. Boom. Praise the Lord. So in every life that is here, in your life, you need to determine what is more important in your life. Whether it is truth or things. You need to determine. If things are more important to you, you will compromise. Greed is the fastest route to compromise. If truth is more important, regardless of what it is, God will keep you and hold you. So, in compromising situations, the first thing I do is, is what? Do the right thing. Then the second thing I do is second thing you do is trust God for your future. Trust God for what? So I trust God for my future. Sometimes you see unethical people prospering. Don't worry. Trust God for your future. Sometimes you see people, they, they, they're not working with God. They're they just doing things upside down. It appears that they are prospering. It is just for a short time, believe me. But again, it is not even your business. You trust God for your future. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18, the Living Bible, it says, don't envy evil men. But continue to what? To reverence the Lord all the time. For surely you have what? A wonderful future ahead of you. Outsetting, surely, surely you have a wonderful future ahead of you. Oh, your friend, you know what they are doing. It appears that they are getting ahead. God says, don't worry. You have a wonderful future. Trust God for your future. You see, I can tell you this because like Pastor Gandhi was saying, I stand at the pulpit and I sit at the pew. What that means is I face the same challenges you face. I run a business I left paid employment in 2004. I was a senior manager at Telnet. And I resigned. 2004. That is what? 2004, yes. That's 11 years already. Wow. January 2005. There was this solution that, you know, I had an idea of I quoted for it. A friend of mine was um, like the um, CTO of, of a bank, big bank in this country at the time. So I pushed in the proposal and it was going to save them millions of naira, overtime dollars, hundreds of millions. My friend saw the proposal fantastic. Nobody is doing this in this country. Let's do it. Got approval for it. 
he removed the commercial page. He got a blank check approval and came to me, dropped it, and, and I looked at it. I said, oh, wow, you've gotten the approval. It says, yes. And I flip, 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 flip. No commercial page. He says, ah, ah, you quoted too small. He says, I should do times 15. Why? Because this is for this person, this director, this is for this director, this is for this person. That was my first business in the year. Every kind of devil is this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What kind of temptation is this? Oh God of heaven. I needed that money. I have a family to feed. But in compromising situations, the first thing you do is what? Do the right thing. Said to him, I cannot connive with you to defraud the organization. I am not going to inflate the price. And he said to me, okay, you know what? You know, maybe we should meet again. That was the end of the deal. Is what? Trust God for your future. He met a friend of mine, a mutual friend, and he said to him, Imagine I gave Munayin this deal. See what he did. And, you know, Tolu, a mutual friend, he laughed. He said, Don't you know, Femi, he will never do that. And when I heard it, I was so happy that at least some people know that I pray that they say of you, Don't you know, Ngozi, she will never. That not many people said amen. I pray they say of you, don't you know that person? She will never compromise. See the volume of women we have. I pray that God will make you the end only in Jesus' name. Bigger amen. This is God's favorite house. I pray again that they will say of you. That person will never compromise. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Trust God for your future. Now, listen. In retrospect, I can tell you that God is faithful. Totally. 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 Did I feel the pain? Of course. Did I feel confused? Yes. Did I feel the stress, the pressure? Yes. And you are not alone. Why, why do I share this example? It's simple. Just to let you know that you are not alone on this journey. Even Isaiah, the prophet, God said to him to do something unpopular. And he did it, but he felt discouraged afterwards. And in chapter 49 of the book of Isaiah, verse 4, Chapter 49, Isaiah said, it's in your outline, I leave it all in the hand of who? In the Lord's hands. I will what? Trust God for my reward. Now listen, will you trust God for your reward? Will you leave it in God's hands? You see, if you do that, the stress just, it vanishes. 
you are not carrying the load. So, so it's like, God, you have to feed this family. How many of you know if God takes responsibility for your family, it's going to be better than really if you, if you take responsibility for the family? Why? Because if you are going to stand for anything in this life, you are going to be criticized. You will be criticized. If you are going to stand for anything, you will be criticized. You will be misjudged. Your motive will be misjudged. Your methods will be attacked. You'll be shocked at how much criticism in I have had to bear. <laughs> and in leadership, I have discovered that if you call the shots, you are going to take some shots. That's a good place to clap. <laughs> I'm joking. The point is this. This is from experience. Even people you pay their salary no, I'm not talking about my current colleagues. I mean, I, fantastic people. None of them gives me shots, <laughs> shoots me. Even people, you pay their salaries. We take a shot at you. Get used to it. Please say to your neighbor, get used to it. In fact, the Bible says that if you listen to much, put your ears to the wall, you will hear your servant curse you. The question is, what is your ear doing to the wall? Don't you have work to do? Any people that want to criticize, let them criticize. Some great guy, Rick Warren, he said, the only way not to be criticized, he said he discovered the only way not to be criticized. He says, it's, it's to what? Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. And that is the description for nobody in God's private house. <laughs> the only way not to be criticized. You, you remember the story of, of, of Obey back in the day. The donkey and the, and the man and the son. The man on the donkey, wicked man. The boy on the donkey, foolish man. The boy and the man on the donkey, wicked souls. Both of them walking, fools. The donkey is going free. You know that song now? There's nothing you can do. And many of us, we, we get, listen, if there's anything you need to catch, you need to develop Thick skin and a soft heart. Unfortunately, many of us, we develop soft skin and a thick heart. Any small thing, we are irritated. Our skins are so sensitive and our heart is hardened. Unforgiveness. No. God wants you to reverse it. God wants you to have a thick skin and a what? A soft heart. Quick to forgive. Have a thick skin. The person said it. My grandmother used to say, 
It's his mouth he used to say it. Abi, you need to understand that everybody is entitled to an opinion. And it doesn't have to align with yours. In fact, if you get too, if you, if you, if you get ticked off too much by criticism, just, it may be a pointer to pride. Maybe. In fact, 90% of the time it is. Why? Because he has his mouth. God has blessed him with his mouth. Let him say whatever I want to say. It doesn't affect me. It's his opinion. It affects me if I take it in. But I don't have time to take it in. Praise the name of the Lord. I don't have what? Time. I've I've, 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 I've had a lot of people come to me and say to me, oh, pastor, oh, this, oh, that, oh, this, oh, that. You know, as, as someone said to me recently, I mean, different times, you know, Different people. How do you handle this? Because the person told me about one huge criticism and I laughed. Another person. One huge criticism and I laughed. I didn't even ask. Who said what? And I'm like, how do you, how are you able to handle these things? Don't you care that these people are saying horrible things about you? Care? No. I leave it all in the Lord's hands. How many of it? Okay, yeah. I will trust God for my reward. Give it all in God's hands. So people, you are trying to help them. They criticize you. Leave it all in God's hands. In fact, I preach a message. God sees God knows, God rewards. He sees, he knows, he rewards. Don't worry yourself. Praise the name of the Lord. It's called dancing to the audience of one. You see, and there are some of you, you've done the right thing. In your relationships, you've done the right thing. In your marriage, you've done the right thing at at work. You've done the right thing. And nothing turned around yet. So what should I do? Pastor, I I walked away from the deal. Nothing has turned around yet. What should I do? Pastor, I've I've refused to, to sleep with the guy. What should I do? He's paying my school fees. What should I do? Nothing is happening yet. What should I do, Pastor? What should you do? Trust God for your future. The solemn clap. I know. <laughs> no, but it's okay because it's a tight place to be. I have look, listen, you guys, you know my story. I've had to say no to many things, even in this walk. I've had to walk away from things that, I, that looked, how are we going to do it as a church? How are we going to survive? What are, but we trusted God and did it not come true. That's the name of the Lord. In fact, stress is a test of your trust. Stress 
is a test of your trust. Why should you be stressed? Where is your trust? The second type of stress is the stress of conflict. You know, because we are different, we are all different. Conflict is inevitable, it's an inevitable part of life. Conflict is an inevitable part of life. Now, don't get me wrong. Conflict is never fun. It can be stressful. At least, I don't enjoy conflict. I know some of you don't believe that. <laughs> but I don't. In fact, if anybody enjoys conflict, the person should go and check himself. I have just accepted that it's part of life. That's why it appears that I respond, I mean, easily with, with conflict. Appropriately with conflict. I don't bat a high lead with conflict. Not because I enjoy it, but because I've accepted it's part of life and you, there's nothing you can do about it too. It's part of life. So, that's how it is. So, how do you eradicate the stress of conflict? In conflicting situations, the first thing you do is change your focus. Change your focus. Change your focus. Change your focus from your needs to the needs of the other person. Change your focus from your needs to their needs. From your pain to their pain. From your viewpoint to their viewpoint. Look at the situation from the other person's perspective. If there's a secret to conflict resolution, and there is, it is this. The secret to diffusing conflict. Are you ready? Understand where the person is coming from. Help you. It will, it will save your marriage. Understand where the person is coming from. There's a guy that's married to, to a woman that is totally always speaking quarrel, always competitive about everything. But the day he understood that there were seven of them that grew up and they had to share one piece of meat and it is survival of the fittest. That is how she grew up. So even now, they don't need to share the piece of meat. She's hiding meat from her husband. And it was a problem until he, it may sound funny, until he understood where she's coming from. It will continually be a source of conflict. My wife understands where I'm coming from. <laughs> from. We grew up 
enjoying competition. For us, competition was fun, was healthy, was you win today, I'm planning how I will win tomorrow. I don't beef you because you won today. I don't care that you won. Guess what? Tomorrow, I'm going to win. That's how we grew up. But some people can't handle that. When they're in a competitive mode, they have negative emotions, they have all sorts of things going down. So, one of my brothers, his wife also understood this. They want to brush their teeth. My brother says to his wife, take your toothpaste, this is my toothpaste. Let's see if we we'll finish brushing his teeth first. Go! And she was crying. I don't want to compete again. I'm tired. Conflict. Now the point is, that's how we grew up. It's normal. Now some of you are saying, Pastor, that's not normal. Well, <laughs> well, maybe not, maybe not. But to us, it is, if you understood where we are coming from, you will love us easier. Don't you understand what I'm saying? So when the, when the guy says, oh yeah, let's go, the man says, go, she just say, okay, mm, you win. She can It is, what I'm saying to you, some people are just, they just don't like confrontation. Look, why force them to have confrontations? I know some things you need to confront, yes. But you see, you can't be confronting everything every day. So, just, if you understand where they are coming from, you're able to accept the person and love the person. Of course, the person will grow. Don't get me wrong. Praise the name of the Lord. Understand their circumstance, their background, their temperament. So, okay, Pastor, how do I understand? How? Understanding is tough. How do I understand? Simple. By listening before you speak. It sounds very simple, but this is just life saving. You listen when? Before you speak. But in a conflict, all you care about is what you want to say. Have you noticed? So they should listen after you have spoken. And after you've, you know, many times, you're like, can you please listen to me? You said that before. Good. Good. But it will only cause more strife. You get understanding by what? Listening before you speak. There's a difference between keeping quiet and waiting your turn to speak than listening before you speak. Many of you are laughing. You understand what I mean already. <laughs> when, you, when you are keeping quiet and waiting your turn to speak, the person is speaking, you are not listening. I just say, have you finished? Have you finished? I just want you to finish. So that you won't say, I've not allowed you to talk. 
I want to finish everything you want to say so that you can listen to me. <laughs> Huge difference. Huge difference. You see, regardless of the relationship, even the relationship with your child, if you will listen before you speak, it will change that relationship. If you are not just keeping quiet to wait your turn to speak, if you are actually listening, then you'll be able to understand really where the person is coming from. Have you noticed, you know, in computing, there's I.O. devices, input, output devices, right? You have five devices on your head alone for input output. Four of them are input only. Only one of them is, is actually input output. So that is one over five. You have two eyes, two ears. Your eyes only receive. I'm not talking about the people that look at their eyes. do jazz with their eyes. No, no, no. Your eyes only receive as God has designed it. Physical eyes. <laughs> Your ears only Yeah, impute your mouth speak. So listen can speak and can eat. So listen five times as much as you speak. Or at least four times as much as you speak. If you would do that to change your life totally. Actually listen four times. Philippians 2, 3 to 6. Philippians 2, 3 to 6. The word of God says, don't be selfish. Number one, selfish. Don't be selfish. Be humble. Don't think only about your own affairs. Be interested in others too. And what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand to cling to his rights. So we see three things there immediately. Number one, selfishness. That's the problem of conflict. Selfishness. Selfishness. It's my way or the highway. Selfishness. Folks, that don't get their ways by bullying, try to get their way by manipulation, it's still selfishness. The second thing we see there is pride. God says, be humble. Be humble. You see, because when we act in pride, we, we tend to be demanding and unsympathetic. We are just demanding and unsympathetic. My way. When we act in pride, we old grudges and keep score. We hold grudges and keep score. 
That was what you did on the 5th of November, 1982, at 5 p.m. In no, 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 5.02. That was what you did. You did it again in 1992. Now you did it in 2012. You have a 12-year cycle. 10-year cycle. <laughs> Praise the Lord. When we act out of pride, number three, we refuse to admit mistakes. When we act out of pride, number three, we refuse to admit mistakes. We refuse to admit mistakes. You know, I, 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 have you, do you know anybody that, that has done wrong? Or maybe it's you. And instead of just saying sorry and apologizing sincerely, you, you, you just want to confuse the situation. Or justify it. You know, have you heard people say things like, oh, I was under pressure. That was why I did it. Or, or someone says, very, very, very um, popular line. Oh, I was uh, angry. That was why I did it. I was angry. That was why I did it. Ah. So what are you telling me? You get angry again, you break my head. <laughs> Pride. It shows you are just proud. Sorry won't kill you. Say to your neighbor, sorry won't kill you. Humility, you see, which is also I need to correct, I mean, correct this for a lot of people. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not, it's not that, oh, I'm not good, I am always wrong, you are always right, I am. No, that's not humility. That's false humility. That's not what the Bible is saying. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. Huge difference. It's not thinking less of yourself. You are who God says you are. Humility is thinking less about yourself and more about the other person. More about the other people. Less about yourself. When you think less of yourself, you are tampering with what you should not tamper with, which is your worth in God. You shouldn't tamper with that. You are who God says you are. Stand tall. But think less about yourself. The third thing we, saw, we see there, the first one is, is um, selfishness, the second one is pride. The, the third one we see there is right. The world teaches us stand up for your rights. Stand up for your right. Why that may be good on a social scale to be the voice of the voiceless. On a personal scale, that is not how we should live as Christians. When you became a Christian, you gave your rights to who? God. When you became a Christian, you gave your, your rights to God. You don't have rights anymore as a Christian. So people are hearing that for the first time. I can see eyes popping. Really, pastor? I don't have rights no, you don't. What would Jesus say if they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek? Why would he say that? Because you don't have rights. It doesn't necessarily mean, they ask some guy that Jesus says, if they slap you on one cheek, you should turn the other cheek. So, if they slap you now, what would you do? Would you turn the other cheek? 
Or will you slap the person back? The person says, I won't slap the person back. But I won't be around for the person to slap the other cheek. I will run away. Well, that's fine. Praise the Lord. Have I told you the story of some guy? Oh, should I tell you the story? I'm trying to stick to my notes for time. I'll tell you the story. He just got saved. Rascally guy. Gave his life to Jesus. Pastor said, evangelism. They should go out for evangelism. So he went out for evangelism and brought a soul beating black and blue. And Pastor said, ah, this guy that you are beating like this. And the guy said, Pastor, the guy that narrated the story, that he went to do evangelism as, as God has instructed us. And they are playing football on a Sunday morning. Why should they be playing football on a Sunday morning? I was trying to evangelize them. And they hit the ball at me. And I seized the ball. And this guy came and said, Jesus said, slap you on one cheek. You should turn the other cheek. And before I could say anything, he slapped me on one cheek. And the pastor said, yes, that's that's a good disciple. But I said, no, I beat him up. And I said, you will follow me to church today. (laughs) So I brought my soul. Praise the Lord. So he won a soul by battery. <laughs> when you come to Jesus, really, you, you, you've, you've given your rights to God. That's what being a Christian is. If you understand this, listen. All the stress in marriages will go. Like that. If you understand this, And the, the problem with us is that we confuse our wants with our rights. You want something doesn't mean it's your rights. A man said, Pastor, I have a right to a beautiful young woman. I need fresh blood. After all, my father married three wives. And the Bible says, the bishop must be a husband of one wife. I'm not a bishop. I don't want to be a bishop. So why should I be a husband of one wife? So pastor, permission to marry young, fresh blood. Permission not granted. Your want is different from your rights. The lady says, oh, pastor, I have to marry a rich man. No, no, no. You don't have to. You want to. No, no, no. It's my right to marry a rich man. Why is it your right to marry a rich man? Ah, my mother suffered. We all suffered in our lives. Suffering must not go from generation to generation. Oh, the converse may be the case. My parents are rich. Why should I marry? Why should I drop the standard? You want to marry a rich man. But it is not your right to marry a rich man. So, Pastor, you say I should marry a poor man. No. Marry a great man. 
Praise the name of the Lord. If you marry a great man, it doesn't matter whether he's rich now or poor now because he will be wealthy. If you marry a rich man that's a mediocre man, I'm sorry for you. You heard uh, Pastor Gandhi when he was talking this on Sunday. And you married him, now he's become a monster. But God warned you, but you did not listen. Oh, Pastor, I want to have revenge. Or rather, I need to have revenge. No, you don't need to have revenge. You want to have revenge. Revenge is not your right. Revenge is the exclusive preserve of God. It says, vengeance is mine. And the list can go on and on. I have a lot of things here, but, I, but I'll cut it short. On and on and on and on. What I want you to do is, I want you to sit down a project, your project, and make a list of the rights that have been causing you stress. What are those rights that have been causing you stress? Write them down. Then what? Give them to Jesus. Give them to God. Make a list of the rights. You know, if you do these things, your life will be stressless. Praise the Lord. In conflicting situation, number two, number one, what? Come on. Change your focus. In conflicting situations, number two, watch your words. Watch your words. Watch your words. If you must speak, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Stop saying things like that is how you are. That's how you people are in your family. Hey, you're abusing my mother. Which are we abuse your father? Stop attacking persons. Attack the situation. This thing is unacceptable. Attack the situation, not the person. Why Proverbs 18:20? You can write this down. I don't think this is in your notes. It says, You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. You will have to live with the consequences. The person, what about forgiveness? Yes. Forgiveness happens, but sometimes the wound needs to heal. Sometimes the, the, the damage, <laughs> some damages are almost irreparable. Some verbal weapons should never Never be used. Even in war, in a war situation, you know, for those that are joining us for the first time, we are doing a series on Sundays called Victory. It's, it's about um, gaining victory. So, so, so we are looking at a lot of historical wars. In war situations, they are setting ground rules in, in war situations, there are things that you do in a war situation that can be termed as crime against humanity. In fact, 
during the Cold War, if you remember, the Western Bloc, led by the US and the Allied, and the Eastern Bloc, led by the Soviet Union and, and the Allied, they both agreed not to use nuclear weapons. Can you imagine that? They both agreed not to use nuclear weapons. Listen, there are some verbal nuclear weapons you should not use in your life, in your marriage, and in your situations. Why? Because they are nuclear weapons. When you release them, they destroy the person that shot it and the person that you shot it at. The gas doesn't know. A bullet knows where to go. The gas doesn't know where to go. Radiations don't know where to go. They cannot be guided. Some words should never be said in marriages. For instance, divorce should never be said. By the grace of God, I'm married 13 years. I have never, ever used that word. Clap for me. Okay, clap for me to encourage me. Testimony. Okay, fine. But the key thing is, I've never. Why? Because I made, my wife and I, we made up our mind never to use it. <laughs> never to use it. Why? Because you will have what you say. The first time, every, you see, I've, I'm going to be 10 years pastoring in, in, in June. I've, I've told you guys, I've seen Christian marriages, lovely people, I've seen them disintegrate. You check the first time they used the word divorce, they both didn't believe it. They just said it out of anger. They didn't believe it would ever happen. But they keep they kept saying it. And they kept saying it. Think about the first time you used the word. Do you believe it? Of course not. You were just angry. You wanted to threaten. You wanted to to you know score a point. But the scripture says you will have what you say. So, there are some nuclear weapons that you don't want to deploy. You don't want to deploy. Another one is, you, I never, ever, if you're married, never, ever abuse your in-law. Never. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you think they are just fools. I know. But don't say it. Don't say it. And the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on. Ephesians 4, 29-32 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use it. Don't use it. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be what? An encouragement. Get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, ash words, and slander. Instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. Everybody say tender-hearted. Don't you know that in conflict situations, even if you want to be tender-hearted, you want to be hard so that you can show the person some. Each time you choose that route, you are going against scripture. God cannot bless it. That's just what it, what it means. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, every time I read this, you know, I just wish God would have said, not offending one another. 
wouldn't that just have helped us a whole lot more than forgiving one another? Forgiving one another means what? How should we forgive one another? Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you all. Can't we just forgive one another? You know what chill means? Why must it be how God, through Christ? There are people in this place today that after the service is over, you need to go and give them a hug. Say to them, I, I, have, I have now forgiven you as Christ forgave me. So I get an amen. Some words are out of bounds. They are out of bounds. That's the truth. Some words are out of bounds. So the first stress is the stress of what? Compromise. Second stress is the stress of conflict. The third stress is the stress of competition. I think that's where we will stop. The stress of competition. You know, we live in a competitive world, culture, from birth, we're taught. And competition in itself is not bad if you are competing for the right things or against the right things. If you are competing against yourself, you want to be better than how you were last year. There's nothing wrong with that. But you see, it can get so into our system that. We begin to compete for things that are irrelevant. Like competing for good looks. You come to church, you see that lady, she's beautiful. Next week, Sunday, I'm going to be more beautiful. Come on. You are all beautiful. Say amen. Competing in possessions. Do you know that your car depreciates faster after your neighbor buys a brand new car. There was nothing wrong with your car before. But your neighbor cruised in with a brand new car, that the value of your car. God has not sent you to that kind of competition. It puts stress on you, on yourself, to be number one in what? In driving the best cars in Lagos? There was a man, a young guy that almost died of high blood pressure and the pastor was sharing this um, with us some time ago. Pastor Esco was sharing with us that the guy came, pastor, I need help, I need prayers. What was his problem? He was very wealthy, very, 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 very wealthy. He was a young guy, maybe he was in his late 30s. He had a lot of money and he was dying. So what was his problem? He says every time he wants to sleep and he thinks that there's somebody in this Lagos that is richer than him, gets up and begins to walk. Is that not the problem? Now, many of us, we look at that and we are like, ah, that guy needs, a, needs healing. Right? But are we not doing the same in different areas? The girl just changed her hairstyle to fit the shape of her face. Your own face is not like that. But you say, I must carry that hairstyle. And now you are looking like a masquerade. 
Ah! Say to your neighbor, stop it, stop it. Ah! Pastor. <laughs> now, so I need to get back online. How do you reduce the stress of competition? How do you reduce the stress of competition? In competing situations, number one, stop comparing. Stop what? Comparing. Stop comparing. Comparing is a foolish thing to do. Why? Because you are unique. God designed you uniquely. In fact, your genes are designed uniquely by God. No two human beings have the same genes. You have designer genes. Like Pastor Gandhi will say, you get that on Sunday morning. <laughs> you have designer genes. Some people still don't get it. But I need to go on. <laughs> Why? Why is it a bad thing to compare? Because it causes envy and bitterness. It makes you miserable. Don't do it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Galatians 6 4. It says, let everyone be sure to do his very best. What should you be sure to do? Your very best. But then you will have the personal satisfaction of work well done, done well, and won't need to compare himself to someone else. In other words, the only person you should compete with is yourself. Do your very best. Do your very best. If you've done your best, that's fine. Then relax. Don't run another person's race. Plans on Sunday. Don't run another person's race. Some people are running 100 meters. Some people are running 200 meters. Some people are running marathons. When they say go, at 50 meter mark, the person running the marathon, you think he's slow, right? But he knows that he's going other distance is running a different race. When you compare, you lose. You always lose. Why? Because every time you compare, you will see people you are better than. And that leads to pride. And any Christian that is prideful loses with God. Because God resists the proud. And gives grace to the humble. Every time you compare, you will see people that you are better than. And you say, ah. Some people will turn into a prayer point. Pastor, ah, God, I thank you. I'm not that ugly. At least some of us are handsome in our family. Some people pray like that. Say, ah, thank God, though. At least my own children had all A's. Father, it's you. I'm giving glory. We are not like people that got F's. doesn't glorify God. Praise the Lord. Because it's pride. God resists the proud. 
Don't, you don't want to go on that lane. Secondly, every time you compare, you see people that are better than you. No matter how beautiful you are, my wife is still more beautiful. <laughs> you see the number of people that are coughing? I'm joking. The point is this. The point is this. There will always be somebody richer. There will always be somebody better. There will always be somebody more beautiful. There will always be whatever you... If you bought your car now, before you drove, drive out of this place and get home, somebody has bought a newer car. It leads to discouragement. You lose. So when you compare, you always lose. So every time you start comparing, you inevitably start competing wrongly. You can put wrongly there. Run your own race. Run your own race. That's what you put in the, in the dash. You can put wrongly, put um, the upper thing that you can put wrongly. Run your own race. So in competing situations, I do what? I stop comparing. In fact, you know, competing stations are even upon us as a nation. Some people are saying APC. Some people are saying PDP. Some people are saying, Pastor, which one are you? <laughs> I hope we don't become like the United States of America. People hate their blood brothers because he's a Democrat and they are Republican. They actually hate. There are people that can't stand their neighbors because their neighbors are flying Obama's flag. Listen, when all these politicians, when they've come and gone, they will meet wherever they meet and laugh at all of you and share the money that they are sharing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Are you saying we shouldn't vote? No, please vote. But don't don't, you see, there are people as we speak that go on Facebook and because their friend have put up a poster of somebody they don't support, they say horrible things, horrible things. That a few years after, down the line, this election will not matter. For some people, it's the football club they compete with. We have people, because I'm an Arsenal fan, and you chop 2-0, you refuse to give your brother that. What club can beat Arsenal 2-0? I don't even know. Chelsea. You see me in church, you say, you are Chelsea, I wear a Chelsea t-shirt, no way. You drive off, something is wrong with that. I'm telling you, really, I know people that they were, back in the day, they went to, I don't support any club, deliberately. The only club I support is Super Eagles, you know that. Back in the day, they go to clubs to watch a match together. And because your friend, the team won, you leave him in the club and you drive home. I'm telling you, guys do it. Am I, am I lying? It's not healthy. It's not necessary. They are men because they support Real Madrid 
They want their wife, children, baby, Real Madrid t-shirt. Before he even knows how to talk. And if the wife dares support Barcelona, she's a rebel. I'm telling you, I've had to deal with a case like that. I'm just mentioning a different club. So as to protect identities. She's a rebel. Because in this house, we are Real Madrid fans. Why should she be supporting the enemies? Like enemies? Isn't that too strong? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> we need to know what healthy competition is and what unhealthy competition is. And draw the line. Praise the Lord. So in competing situations, number one, I stop comparing. And number two, remember God's unconditional love. Remember God's unconditional love. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When did God start loving, start, start loving you? When you had it all together? When you cleaned up all your acts? No. God didn't start loving you when you promised to be a good boy or to be a good girl. God started loving you while you were still sinners. In competing situations, remember God's unfailing love. Remember that God loves you unconditionally. The story is told of the man that died. He got to heaven and the angel said to him, Welcome to heaven. But before you enter, you need to write a test. There's a test again. He says, yes. He says, you must score at least 100 points to enter. You can score more than 100, but at least 100 points to enter. So the angel said, question, why should you be here? And the guy says, oh, I spent 15 years of my life with Mother Teresa feeding the poor, clothing the homeless. 15 years? The guy said, yes. Ginger said, one point. I said, come on! One point? 15 years! What else? The guy says, okay, 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 this must be it. I had six children. All of them are missionaries. I trained them. They are all missionaries in different parts of the world. How many points, Angel? Angel, run it. One point. I says, come on, Angel. I spent over half of the, my time on earth raising these children to the glory of God. Just one point. All I have left is the grace of God. And the Angel said, 100 points. Yes, it's 100 points. Yes, the grace of God. 100 points. Some people will get it on Sunday morning. <laughs> the, po the point is this. It is only the grace of God. Every other thing you are putting on top, Jara, 
Dara, Dara. It is only the unconditional love of God. Never forget that. In any competing situation, it can be your marriage, it can be your life, it can be at work, it can be in school. Remember, God loves me how? Unconditionally. So if God loves me unconditionally, I can relax. I love him back. If I accept that God loves me unconditionally, I can take a deep breath. Why? Because you don't have to prove to anybody. You don't have to prove your worth to anybody. You don't have to prove your worth to your husband. You don't have to prove your worth to your wife. You don't have to prove your worth to your, to your father. You don't have to prove your worth to your mom. Neither do you have to prove your worth to your siblings. Guess what? God has already said that you are worthy. Praise the Lord. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to prove anything. Conflicting situation. Compromising situation. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Tell it in the cause of the Tazi and Dedim of the Shandy.